listening to a sermon from Iron City Church. For unity, for diversity, for the city, and for the glory of God. So tonight we are going to be jumping into the book of 2 Peter, as we talked about. 2 Peter is a three-chapter book, so it's brief, it's short. And it's the last words of a faithful man. Peter was one of the apostles. He walked with Jesus. We're going to see that tonight. He saw the glory of Jesus. He witnessed his resurrected body. He saw the power of the Holy Spirit work in the life of Jesus and also in his own life. He was a founder and father of the church. And he is writing this letter to many congregations who he helped plant and that he shepherded probably for many, many years. And in this book, he says that the Lord has made clear to him that his time here on earth is going to end. And so what we read here tonight are the last words of a dying man. I think that should weigh on us. And what Peter seems fit in this three-chapter book to share is Chapter one, what we're going to read tonight, the abundant kindness of Jesus in the gospel, the good news. What is the gospel and how do we respond to it? And then in chapter two, he points out what is false teaching and the peril of it. And then he talks about the allure and destructiveness of sin. And in chapter three, he reminds them of the hope and the judgment of the second coming. So with this picture in mind, we're going to read chapter one in its entirety, and then I will jump in to the sermon. So it's 2 Peter chapter one. If you are there, say amen. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and our savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. For his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us this precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in this world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, in virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and they are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provide for you in an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, 
I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Hear this. For we do not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke by God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Lord, we need to hear from you tonight. Speak to us by your Holy Spirit. May your living word be alive to us tonight. By your spirit, lead and guide my tongue and my heart for your glory and our good. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. Do you know him? Do you know him is the question that Peter is getting at in this first chapter. Do you know him? See, there's a lot of religions in the world and there's a lot of faith structures, but I would challenge you tonight that one of, if not the central thing that distinguishes the Christian faith from many other world religions is that God has pursued us in relationship that he is making himself known. That the scriptures are not just a recollection or someone's experience of their personal interactions with the living God, but that God has intentionally revealed himself to us, his people, through his word and utmost through his son, Jesus Christ. And that question, do you know him, is what changes our lives. It was, it's what gives us hope in the midst of darkness. It's what keeps us from fear and despair in the midst of war. Well, it's what allows us to grieve, but not despair in the midst of loss and heartbreak and death. So as we go through this text tonight, my question that I want to challenge you with is, do you know him? Do you know Jesus Christ? So we're going to look at this text and there's three points that I want to lay out that we're going to walk through as we go through it. And the first thing that I want us to see is that God has done the work. Again, God is making himself known to us. So there's not a list of to-dos that we do and that way we can know God a little bit more and a little bit more, but the kindness and the goodness and the necessity of our experience is that God has done the work. So God has done the work, and secondly, because we know God, 
we will pursue godliness. If we know him, we will pursue to be like him. And thirdly, that Christ is the living word. That in Jesus, all the promises of scripture are fulfilled and affirmed. This is a powerful and neat way in which Peter has clarified and summed up the good news of Jesus and how we respond and why we should trust it. It's a bold endeavor that I have before us today. So in in verse three, we're gonna look at verse three starting off. It says, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. God has done the work. Everyone say power with me. One more time. We gotta say it powerfully. Everyone say power. Power. That's better. God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. That is good news. This is the same power that raised Christ from the dead, that has made all things and sustains all things. We believe in a creating God. Not a God amongst gods, but the only true God. And in that same power and that same might, with that same certainty as we trust our next breath, God has provided for us. He has granted to us all things that we need. In a minute, we're gonna get to this list of virtues, these things we are to pursue, but we're gonna spend a lot of time in verses three and four because I believe this is central to Peter's message and to the good news of Jesus. If we aspire to live the Christian life without believing that God has done all the work, then we are on a pathway to exhaustion and death. And there's no goodness in that news at all. So he has granted to us all things for life and godliness. This is life and godliness versus sin and death. That's the redemptive work of Jesus. God has called us not just to be neutral. He's just not kind of cleaned us up and made us these neutral beings, but God has already endowed us with life and godliness because of his work on the cross in Jesus. He has empowered us. He has enabled us to follow the way in which he's called us to have life, to have hope, to live in a way that's radically different from the darkness and despairing nature of the world all around us. And how has he done this? There's this beautiful movement that we have here. His power has granted this to us and he's given us life and godliness. And how so? Because of knowledge. This is... I think one of the central themes in this chapter right here, the knowledge of Jesus. Do we know him? It's mentioned in verse two that we kind of skipped over. This theme of knowledge appears again and again in this book and especially in this chapter. And what Peter's getting at next week when we look at chapter two, we'll see how there's all these false teachers who are talking about special knowledge. We live in a world that loves knowledge, that loves special knowledge, that loves all kinds of knowledge. And it's through a knowledge of Jesus that our lives are transformed, that we live in life and godliness. 
But this word for knowledge here, it's, there's a couple words in the Greek for knowledge, and this one is a special one. It's a relational knowledge. Most of you in this room are either in college or have gone through college. You probably are people that like information. But I think the scriptures here are making a distinction between information and knowledge. I like technology. I have Alexa in our home. We, we have lots of Alexa devices. And I think there's probably a lot of information that she has acquired about me over the years. What music I like to listen to, what questions I ask, probably the way I talk to our kids, all kinds of scary stuff. But the, the reality is, is she has a lot of information about me. She doesn't know me. One, because she's a thing, not a person. But two, we have no relationship. This word for knowledge here is one of relationship. A lot of religiosity, a lot of world religions, and even more maybe prevalent here in our day and age is a lot of modern moralism is about information, not relationship. But what stands apart in the good news of Jesus is that the creator of the universe has condescended to us and has made himself known to us. And he has invited us in to relational knowledge of him. He is the self-revealing God. God has made himself known to us in the person of Jesus. It's through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. We are invited to have this relationship, this relational knowledge of Jesus through his word and through prayer and through his church. And as we do it, it transforms us. We're shaped, we're molded more and more into the image of God. We are endowed with his own glory and excellence. We are endowed with his own glory and excellence. We should be shaken and challenged by that. So my first question for today is, does your knowledge of God change you? Does your knowledge of God change you? When you're spending time in the word or when you're spending time in prayer, is it transforming you? Because honestly, sometimes I can just go through the motions, right? One thing I learned through seminary is that there are lots of people who know a whole lot of information about God and that do not know God. And they have great ideas and some of them say really beautiful things, but they do not know him. Our knowledge of God should be changing you. And I don't want to skip over the fact that God is a God of relationship. He is a person. Truth is a person. Truth is a he, not an it. And so as we, we aspire for knowledge, as we aspire to know how to navigate this world around us, I want us to ask ourselves, are we just seeking more information in this category called religion or are we pursuing a relationship with Jesus?
so that through these very great promises, that's the promise of the resurrection, that's the promise of Christ's atoning work on the cross, that's the promise that we have been made new in Jesus and restored in our relationship with him. It's the promises of these scriptures. That's why we read them, because God has made great and elaborate and generous and unbelievably kind promises to us through his word. This should give us hope and peace in the midst of darkness and despair. Through these very great promises, we are becoming partakers of his divine nature. And the picture here is, one, on one hand, something that's unfathomable. The, the, the scriptures say some crazy things as well. Like we were going to be partakers of Christ's glory. I don't know what that looks like, but by the Lord's grace, he's given me faith to believe that something like that, something unbelievable is going to happen. The more I spend time in his presence and in his kingdom to come. And on the other side, this divine nature is standing in opposition to the corruption of this present evil age that's passing away and the sinful desires that's mentioned in this next line. When we know Jesus, our lives look different. And when we know Jesus, we relate to the world in a different way. There's something otherworldly about us. There's something transformative about us. We are being made more and more like Jesus. This is the good news. And I hope you've noticed that I've not once talked about what we do yet in this text. We, by God's pursuit, by his faithfulness, by his power, by his knowledge, by his revealing work, we are being shaped into his nature and into his image and into his character. Amen. And so before we make this shift to point number two, I just want us to sit in this. I've I've been stirred up by the goodness of this news this week. Have we grown numb to the goodness of the good news? God loves us. He's been kind to us. He's lavished eternal blessings upon us, not because of who we are, but because of who he is. And the good news today is that we don't have to trust in who we are or what we've done, but who he is and what he has done. So we look in verse six with me. No, we're going to look in verse uh, five. There we go. All the little subnumbers are hard sometimes, right? For this reason. For this reason. Everyone say, for this reason. Those are important phrases when we read the Bible. Because if we skip over them, then we, we get it twisted. We get it off. And that brings death and destruction. Because of what Jesus has already done for us. Because of our already position in Jesus Christ. Because we've already been made a new creation. Because we know God and his loving kindness. 
we pursue godliness. If we flip this, it is death to us. If we flip these, it is death. If we think that we need to pursue godliness so that we can know God, that is horrible. That's crushing. It's exhausting. It's numbing. It's dehumanizing. There's all the opposite things that the good news does. So are you exhausted? Are you weary? Are you tired of crawling? Maybe, maybe you've gotten it twisted. And that's okay, we get twisted. I get twisted sometimes. It's our nature to flip that. My encouragement for you tonight, if you hear one thing, is that God wants you to know him. And if you hear two things, it's that only knowing Jesus will bring life and godliness. Our striving on its own never will. But this is hard because we live in a culture and in a society that lifts up striving, right? That's the American way. It's the American dream. You pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You work hard. You get ahead. When life knocks you down, you just get back up. That's what makes heroes. That's what makes stars. That's what makes successful businessmen and women. How many blows can you take? How hard can you grind? Maybe take care of yourself a little bit so you don't burn out too fast, but leave it all on the field. Does that resonate with y'all? Is that not the message of our day and age? Is it not the lure of the world? It's what I feel most days. And you know what? Some of that has some shadows of truth. We need to work hard. We need to use the gifts the Lord's given us. The Bible speaks clearly against laziness, against apathy. But when it comes to godliness, when it comes to the way of Jesus, if we try striving on our own, then we will always fail and we will always be exhausted and we will always fall short. So are you striving in your own effort today? Are you looking to Jesus? Are you seeking to know him more? See, sometimes we do that just because we get it flipped. We get going so fast and we want to do all these good things that we know are good and we know are godly and we know feel good even that we abandon intimacy with God. We abandon relationship with God. We don't spend time actually knowing him. We might read the word, but we don't let it work on us. We might say some prayers, but we don't stop to listen. But maybe some of you in this room, you have a different motive. Sometimes we want to keep God at a distance, and that's why we do good things. That's why we work hard. That's why we strive for all these virtues we're going to look at in a second. We want to do just enough that we can kind of delude ourselves and maybe others that we don't really need God that much. Because it takes a level of humility and surrender that's scary and intimidating to bow before Jesus. If he's doing the work and not us, then we're dependent on him. We gotta have faith. We gotta trust him. We gotta surrender. 
Is that you in this room? No matter what our modes are, don't get it twisted. Knowing God produces godliness. Pursuing godliness to know God will always bring death. But there is a sweetness in the Lord's wisdom. He just always does things better and more deeply than I would ever fathom, right? That's a good thing. I hope that's true for you. And so God has done the work, but he doesn't just do the work outside of us and without us. But God in his kindness has invited us to participate with him. Everyone say participate. We get to work out our salvation with him. We get to cooperate with him. This morning, I cooked donuts in our air fryer for our family. And Daisy helped. I got the supplies. I got the, the biscuits and I got all the stuff we needed. And I got all the little cutters. And then Daisy didn't know what I was doing. I said, hey, Daisy, do you want to come help? And then Daisy said yes. And then I had to take the time to not cook, but to make sure she washed her hands and get her stool and get her set up. And then I told her exactly what to do. And I got her hand to make sure she did it just right. And, that's, and she loved it and she delighted it and it was good for her. And we had a sweet time together. And that's the best picture I could think of of what the picture of our participating in our being made more like Jesus is with the Father. Except for God's a lot more powerful than I am. And so maybe Daisy could have messed things up, but we can't mess things up. But the truth is, is I enjoy having Daisy with me, but I did not need her in any way to cook. She did not contribute anything that I could not have done all in myself. But I still wanted her participation. And our father still desires our participation. He invites us into this path of sanctification, being made more like Jesus. And so the question that Peter's asking is, are you pursuing godliness? Are you participating? Are you knowing God? And is that knowledge changing you and shaping you? So we look at verse five and it says, make, for this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and your virtue with knowledge and your knowledge with self-control and your self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. Because of Jesus' work, do these things. It's another moment for us to evangelize to the world around us, to share the hope. When I say that, I mean to share the hope that we have in Jesus, to share the work that he's doing in our lives because most of this list are things that the world values. Virtue or excellence, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness. But what precurses these is faith. It's our faith in knowing Jesus that drives our virtue. So I just want to walk through these things. I want to give a little explanation and I want to encourage you to consider is your relationship with God bringing about these things? <clears throat> and where it's not, there's an easy and hard fix. Bring these things before the Lord. It's not, it's not to try harder, but say, Lord, tonight, by your grace, Dustin talked about 
my lack of pursuing excellence and I want you to help me. Stir in my heart more excellence. As I'm reading your word, help me to see what that looks like. I want to be more full of brotherly affection, God. Show me the people in my life that I need to love more. I'm going to say it till I'm blue in the face because Peter has said it's valuable. We need to be reminded that knowing God is what changes all of this. So when you feel conviction, praise the Lord, but don't let it be condemnation or shame. Let it be something that in the Lord's kindness points you deeper into relationship with him. When we see shortcomings and sin and brokenness, it should point us deeper into Jesus. So excellence or virtue is what's said here. This is acting more fully human. The, the human part excellence, the epitome of excellence of being human. What does that mean? Well, we believe that that is Jesus. Faith will make us seek to be more like Jesus, to be more fully human in this life. Secondly, this pursuit of excellence will drive us to deeper knowledge. And this is a more particular knowledge. This is godly wisdom. This is having the mind of Christ, thinking as God would think. And the way we get that in a lot of ways is being in his word. God has told us what is wise. He's given us sufficiently all that we need for life and godliness in his scriptures. And I'm gonna talk about the Bible in a way that may seem confusing to you. I wanna challenge you with it because I think it's how big and dynamic the scriptures do. It's both a book of profound wisdom. It has truth in it that we can read and we can apply, but it's also living and it's active and it works upon us and it shapes us and it cuts us and it encourages us and it shores us up. But this knowledge here is one of just godly wisdom. Do we know the way of Jesus? Do you know what Jesus would say about these things? What would Jesus do, right? A great question that we maybe grew up asking if you're old like me and had a wristband or maybe you're like, oh my gosh, I didn't know Dustin was so old. But asking that question, knowing what the scriptures say about it is this knowledge here. And as we have virtue and knowledge, it will lead us to self-control, as we know what God said it says is good, then we will pursue that good instead of what feels good to us at times. The self-control is not acting on sinful desire that we're being set free from so that we can pursue the way of Jesus more. I think we're bad at this in our generation. We're not very good at self-control. The world around us says, do what feels good. Sometimes we need to do sometimes we need to not do what feels good. And that's the way that we get to tell others about Jesus and that actually brings us life and goodness. And so after self-control, after a rhythm of knowing about God and practicing self-control, that brings about steadfastness or perseverance. And this is a characteristic of incredible value, especially in our day and age. Brothers and sisters, in Jesus, we are able to persevere, to hold fast. Life gets hard at seasons, and sometimes it's hard for long seasons. And what knowing God does is it allows us to stay steadfast, to cling to his promises. But that doesn't happen overnight. That's a a muscle that we need to flex, that we need to use. And the more that we are practicing self-control and the more that we have a knowledge of God, 
the more we're able to persevere. And that doesn't mean grinning and bearing it, or just gritting our teeth, but means that we're able to grieve and to, to suffer and to cry out, God, how long, and still cling to him in the midst of that. This steadfastness and perseverance allows us to suffer well. Doesn't mean that we laugh and make light of our suffering, but it means that we suffer and we recognize the suffering and we recognize the hardness and we recognize the brokenness of life. And yet we do it in a way that honors God, that points to him, that is dependent on him. When hard things come, we press more into Jesus in our knowledge of him, our relationship with him. We don't disconnect. And this leads to godliness. I've been using this word in a broad sense, but here in this text, I would say this godliness or religiousness is another way of interpreting it, is just an awareness of God's acting in all of life. The more we press into God, the more that we respond to his invitation for relationship day in and day out, the more we begin to see with his eyes, the more we begin to see his working in all of life, his moving in all that we do. And this brotherly affection brings about, sorry, this godliness brings about brotherly affection. This is loving our neighbor. John says, John has recorded that Jesus prays and says that the world will know, the world will know that Jesus is Lord by the way that we love one another. I'm just gonna let that sit. The world will know the truthfulness of the good news we talk about by the way we treat one another. And if we're being honest, what, what is clear is that we need supernatural help and strength to love one another as we should, to bear with one another, to grieve with one another, to stick with it with one another, to forgive, to offer grace. The love that we have for one another should be a testament to the world around us. It should stand out look different. And this brotherly affection leads to love. This picture of love here, this word agape, if you've grown up in the church, you may be familiar with it. In the Greek language, there's lots of different words for love. But this one is one that the Christian tradition has uniquely coined and given meaning and value to. And it's God-like love. Ultimately, knowing Jesus allows us to love like Jesus. And Jesus loves not because of who we are, but again, because of who he is. The love that we receive from God is not because of who we are or what we've done or anything that we could achieve, but it's because of God's good, loving, kind character. That is good news. And over time, we are able more and more to love others, not because who they are or what they've done for us or how they treat us, but because of who God is making us more into the image of his son. Because we want to give love freely, costly. And this testifies to the power, the miraculous power of Jesus in our life. 
So Peter talks about how these things should affirm our calling. There's a lot of discourse in there about why we should do this. This confirms our election and calling. And, and I would sum it up with this. What Peter is saying is that if we're practicing these things, then we can know, we can believe that we have relationship with God. If you're questioning your salvation, if you're wondering if the Lord's really active in your life, then hopefully you can look at these things. But if you don't see these virtues, if you don't see the Lord transforming you over time, I encourage you to do two things. One, ask your friends, ask your community. Some of y'all are just too hard on yourselves. Your friends will be like, oh yeah, God has changed you a lot since you started walking with him. Totally different person. But if it's true that you don't see any evidence of the Lord's grace in your life, don't despair, but look to Jesus. Because there's this parable that Jesus says about the seed that is sown in these different soils. And one of them is sown in soil where the cares and the concerns of the world begin to wrap around it and suffocate it to the extent that it doesn't ever bear any fruit. So I want to challenge you. The Christian life should bear fruit. But if you aren't bearing fruit, it's not too late. Today, look to Jesus. Remember the call on your life. Remember your faith. Flip the script back. Spend less time worrying about doing and more time being in the presence of God because when we're in the presence of God, it will change our lives. And if you're here tonight and you've never done that, if you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus, he is a good and loving and kind God that deeply desires to know you. I pray now that he's stirring up in your spirit a need and desire for him, a curiosity about him. And we would love to have conversations with you about that. He gives the gift of eternal life freely. All we need to do is to repent and believe. And then verse 12, before we move on to Jesus as the living word, Paul says, remember, remember, remember. This is a man who knows that he's dying and he doesn't teach a bunch of new things. But he calls him to remember. And I know at times I've heard people say, well, I've read the Bible a couple times before. Or I've heard that sermon or I know that thing. Brothers and sisters, we need to be reminded daily of the promises of God. You cannot read the words of the scriptures enough. You cannot pray the same prayers enough. You can't show up in church too many times. Because just like we need to eat daily to nourish our bodies, we need to feast daily on the word of the Lord and on his presence to continue to grow and strive. We have amnesia as people. We forget who God is. We forget his truthfulness. Peter knew this, and so he was reminding the church again and again of these same core truths. I hope tonight you're reminded of God's love for you. That's what brings about this continued pattern of growth and change and transformation.
So Peter covers a lot in this first chapter and I wanna end where he ends. The prophetic word. Jesus is the fulfillment of all the scriptures. Peter goes back and he says, guys, we don't follow cleverly devised myths. But he says, I saw Jesus in his glory as the father looked down upon him. Could have said lots of things. Like I saw Jesus after he rose from the dead. I saw him raise people from the dead. I saw the miracles he did. I saw the miracles that he empowered me to do. I just want to challenge you, if you're wrestling with the, the reasonability of the faith, we can just get so chronologically uh, snobbish. We think that we're the only generation or the past 200 years is the only time that's been reasonable or intelligent. That these are some tribal people a long ways away, a long time ago. But this is after Aristotle and Plato and Socrates, these People knew how to think and they knew what myths were and they knew what religiosity was. And Peter's saying, this is something different. And he believed that so avidly that he staked his life on it and so did many others. These words are true and they're the word of life. And they don't just claim to be wisdom or some good ideas or some virtuous ways of living, but they claim to be the word of God. And we can believe them because we believe that Jesus Christ got up from the grave. If you believe in the resurrection, you should trust this word powerfully, strongly. You should cling to it. You should feast upon it. And you should look at the life of Jesus because if you wanna know what this word looks like in action, in motion, it's Jesus. Jesus is the fullness of the scriptures. He's the fulfillment of the scriptures. All that we're called to, all the wisdom and truth that's in here is manifested in the life of Jesus. If you're in here tonight and you're wrestling with the trustworthiness of the scriptures, we would love to talk to you. I'd love to grab coffee with you and talk to you about why I think it's reasonable to believe these things. Peter takes time to make that case. I'd love to make that case with you. But what's clear and evident in this text is that Peter is also expecting God to do something in our spirits by his Holy Spirit. We don't just believe this because it's reasonable. It is, it's reasonable and trustworthy, but we believe this because God is doing something in us. He's calling us by his Holy Spirit. He says at the end of this chapter that that these are not cleverly devised schemes. They're not things that were written long ago. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke by God as they were carried along by his Holy Spirit. And so I believe the promise of the scriptures is that if you open this book and you say, God, show yourself to me, and you begin to read it earnestly and openly, the Holy Spirit of God will begin to stir in your heart and your mind. He will attest to the truthfulness and the uniqueness and the power of this word. He will reveal his majesty and glory to you through these scriptures, just like he did upon Jesus with his disciples. 
And so my invitation to you, if you've never walked with Jesus or if you've been walking with Jesus for many years, is to know him and to ask yourself, do you know him? To sit in his word, to have it transform your heart and your mind and to pray. Jesus has made a way that we can talk to Jesus. We can have a relationship with God. Let's not squander it. We've been talking about remembering, we've been talking about knowing, and so we're about to approach the table. Every week, week in, week out, we approach the table, the the body and the blood of Jesus. If you're serving communion, you can go ahead and come down and grab the elements. And we do this because week in and week out, we need to be reminded of God's pursuit of us, that he has made himself known to us through his word, by his spirit, and ultimately in the person of Jesus Christ. So as you approach this table, we are remembering that God has made a way that we could be reconciled with him, that we can have relationship with him because of God's, because of Christ's body that was broken and his blood that was shed. So if you're here tonight and you've had the script flipped, you've been striving in your own effort, you're tired and you're weary, God loves you. He has given his own son that you can have a relationship with him. Come to this table and remember. Remember.